Welcome to the Nifty Podcast, presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at Nifty 2023 in Seattle, Washington. Hi everybody, my name is Robert Bohorkas. I am on Nifty's board and have been a longtime programmer of the festival. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited to be here with the team uh, with the film Death and Ramen. This is in our Friday Night Shorts block this year. Um, if we want to go down the line, we'll start with Tiger. Um, just introduce yourselves and roles on the film. Hi Robert, thanks for having us. Um, my name is Tiger. Uh, I'm the writer-director of Death and Ramen. How's it going? I'm Peter and I'm the producer of Death and Ramen. Hey, I'm Stefan and I'm the cinematographer for Death and Ramen. Sweet. Well, welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Um, let's start with, uh, kind of give us a little bit of like a summary logline of the of the film just to kind of set the table for set the table. come after. Yeah. yeah, so Death and Ramen is a buddy comedy between a ramen chef and the Grim Reaper. It's a dark comedy uh, that stars Bobby Lee and Matt Jones from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just sort of follows this ramen chef over the span of a single night on his final evening alive as he reckons with his existence and his mortality um, through an absurdist and humorous and tender mm-hmm. lens. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, you're, you're kind of like priming me for like so many questions that I have lined out here. Um, and so, yeah, I'm curious, um, this being a buddy comedy, um, I want to hear about the casting process kind of to start and then... Um, we'll get into like I'd love to know more about just like developing chemistry between Bobby and Matt and yeah. like you know finding that that core of the of the characters. No, for sure. Um, so I wrote the film with Bobby in mind. Um, have been following his work ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. He was like just this to me this symbol of like total and utter rawness and mm-hmm. honesty, especially mm-hmm. in the comedy space and. Um, there's a vibe to him that's sort of like he can't help but be himself. Mm-hmm. And so all of his presence online is essentially that, like this grotesque yet very charming like mm-hmm. figure. Um, and so I wrote a character that I could relate to and I knew that he would be able to relate to. And so didn't know anybody who was connected to him and um, sort of announced to Peter and all of my close friends that uh, I was going to get him Mm -hmm. and sort of like (laughs) screaming into the wind while secretly being terrified of not living up to it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, just like incessantly reached out, wrote letters and emails and Instagram DMs. And um, then eventually he gave us the time of day Mm -hmm. and uh, we got Bobby. Now in terms of Matt, who... um, was also on Breaking Bad for mm-hmm. uh, his role of Badger. It's yeah. like a relatively smaller role, but funnily enough, like one of my favorite roles. And yeah, he's got fans. Yeah, in Breaking <laughs> Bad, um, it's him and Skinny Pete, like the mm-hmm. two duo. Um, Matt actually had known Bobby for a while because they came up in like a tangential sort of stand-up comedy uh-huh. troupe. They weren't in the same one, but it was like a they were sort of aware of each other and had yeah. known each other like in the comedy store in L.A. And um, I didn't know that, but when I thought of Matt and I was discussing this with Peter, I was like, you know, he would be perfect because um, the Grim Reaper is this figure that we're so afraid of Mm -hmm. um, and that we try to project and sort of shove underneath the carpet, especially in Western culture. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but the idea of the Grim Reaper wearing this dark hood and taking it off and it's just Badger with like yeah. a friendly <laughs> face, you know, that was like really beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. So ba- um, Badger, Matt was, uh, Matt was aware of Bobby and when we had Bobby attached to the project, um, it was a really easy sell mm-hmm. and uh, that sort of just happened and came together. In terms of your second part of the question of yeah. building uh, chemistry, the chemistry was sort of already there and they wow. were like buddy-buddy from the get-go and so rehearsal was, you know, uh, kind of just a lot of play mm-hmm. and um, uh, I definitely had to like sort of seed my my usual way of directing, which is a lot more precise and sort of we do a lot of table work and it's highly conceptual because yeah. um, I have a little bit of a background in theater directing. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bobby and Matt, because they're both kind of in the comedy space, it was all sort of about riffing off of each other and sort of, I had to sort of seed that control and it became like, you know, really fun and strange and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so where, how far along in the process did you, what, what hooked you, both of you guys about the project and like got you involved and, um, yeah, where did you come connected to it? Yeah, so Tiger, when when did I get involved? <laughs> Peter and I have known each other for like a bunch of years. This mm-hmm. is so nifty. Like we've known each other since we were like seventeen in a summer program yeah. at USC. We were in the same class, um, a directing intensive, and we met then and sort of were kind of aware of each other. And Peter was killing it, and I was like, I want him to produce. Um, this film Mm -hmm. and sort of pitched to him like very early on and uh sort of told him that i wanted bobby and he was much more um uh experienced with working with like name talent Uh and uh i was just like sort of asking him how how he did and peter straight up just went on imdb pro and just called up bobby's manager i didn't realize how that was how simple it was and that was like very early (laughs) on in in the you're like, process. how do we do this? Uh, I don't know. Let's let's just like find their contact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's Stefan. How about you? Um, Tiger and I already worked together on his first film, okay. uh, Wuhan Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we met. I, th- I think we just started talking at some point about the script, and I really, really enjoyed the script. And there were a lot of parts that I could really identify with. Yeah. The Timmy's relationship with his mom. There's mm-hmm. one scene without giving too much away. Um, he sees his mom at some point. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. And we talked a lot about the script, and we had phone calls before I was really part of the project at like two a.m. I just totally exploited his his um, services. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, but it was a great process even before I was actually part of it. Just like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, deepening that director-DP relationship. Um, it was kind of like flirting for a bit. Like, Stefan and I were just like, oh, you want to do this with me? Oh, I don't know. You want to do this? It was yeah, like usually court- I don't get these calls at 2 a.m. Yeah, there was like uh, a, <laughs> you up. There yeah. was like a courtship to it, you know. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so, yeah, um, I guess I also, something that... Um, this kind of kind of reawoke in my head is just like <clears throat> the concept of food therapy. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, like just the impetus of him, you know, eating 20 Ambien and then immediately making a big bowl of ramen mm-hmm. um, and then using this bowl, this ramen recipe throughout to like explain kind of his, Back backstory, his mm-hmm. vibe, like mm-hmm. his his comfort, where he finds comfort, and I'm curious, like where the origin of that idea comes from for you in writing it. Yeah, so um, 
I studied philosophy in college and I was very inspired by like kind of like the yin and yang of that and the title mm-hmm. sort of speaks to that mm-hmm. and I don't want to like analyze too much of it thematically um, but like the idea of like death and ramen being like two sides of like the human experience right. ramen being ramen like ramen is life is yeah. life <laughs> and ramen is like comfort and tenderness yeah. and beauty and love and death is pain and suffering and you, one can't truly exist without the other mm-hmm. for me personally ramen um, is like a big um, part of my life as with an, in the case of any other you know Asian kid like mm-hmm. uh, every Sunday morning my mother would make me a bowl of ramen and you know that was like culturally her version of sort of um, communicating love Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. words can't quite articulate that profundity of emotion Um, and yeah so like to me that was what love was it was you know a gesture of like a perfectly prepared home-cooked meal like that scene in Ratatouille right where it's like you know um there's soul in in this dish yeah um and it's like this life-affirming thing yeah totally and so i want to kind of draw that all the way through to what we um i won't say what the vision we see is of the afterlife yeah um but i feel like that that's a really interesting like you know talking about death death as a character pretty heavy stuff yeah um but there is this like warmth of the film too and that goes all the way through to the end I think and so like finding that how difficult was like keeping that that balance of you know making this still a very fun short mm-hmm. um, but like the the seriousness of we're talking about death is like still ever present so Mm -hmm. um i'm yeah i'm curious about how it was dealing with that balance and i mean visually representing it too i'm just like curious about that yeah so we looked at a lot of like you know films within that genre that do happy Mm -hmm. sad um really well uh tampopo was huge in that but just because like you know i i wanted to make a movie that didn't look away from the realities of suffering and Mm -hmm. you know people's pain i didn't want to make a melodrama either or a happy-go-lucky film because yes the subject is um painful and difficult yeah and that is bobby slash timmy's predicament in the movie and um yeah i would just say that like i was talking i I don't know where this quote is from but i was talking with stefan a lot during prep that this is a film that puts a whoopee cushion on an electric chair which is like you kind of go out you know like huh that's funny but then the electric chair is there and it's sort of inevitable um the warmth is something that i really wanted to to create because it was subversive in that way where it's like there's a wholesomeness to mm-hmm. to mortality and it isn't something that you know you should be scared of and if you can truly embrace it then you can truly live mm-hmm. in a way um, you can live more honestly, you can laugh harder, you can cry harder, and, and most people spend their lives, I would say, not that I really understand it all that well, I'm still trying to figure this out, but mm-hmm. to my mind, like I see that a lot of um, people spend their lives sort of living without being fully present of, of the cessation, you know, and um, 
I would say that once you're aware of that, then you can truly embrace the other side of it as yeah. well. Yeah, and I'm yeah, I'm curious about the visual language of that too, because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, like medium wides and wides in here, but we still get all the emotion that is usually like we reserve that for close up. So I'm curious, like just all of that big ball of making that all come through from your perspective, yeah. Stefan. I, I think there is definitely something mm. very stylized about it, how we how the nighttime looks uh, mm -hmm. outside in LA. Um, we use anamorphic, which is sometimes very distorting. Um, but I think ultimately there's something very grounded about it. Mm -hmm. And there are certain scenes that I think ground the whole film. Um, and I think we were looking at a lot of films that were a lot slower, like um, Le Havre. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, Le Havre. Uh, that's by a Finnish <coughs> filmmaker, mm -hmm. I would say. His name sort of escapes me, but he makes like these like art house like tragic comedy films. I don't know if yeah. Aki Karismaki, yeah, is his mm, name. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. um, and I think like we were just like holding on a lot of scenes, like especially in those wide shots where you don't really like almost like a Haneke thing where you just don't cut away and you're just resting with your characters. And I think like that yeah. um, grounded it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, for real. Um, because uh, what was the other thing? Kind of a lot of the scene-to-scene -scene contrast between tones really... It doesn't feel like you don't don't get, like, whiplash from it. Yeah. Like, it still feels like the same movie, and it yeah. still feels, like, continuous in that way. But there is this, like, you know, we're in the ramen shop, and everybody's having a good time. <laughs> we're in the... We're with the mom, and it's pretty heavy. We're on this rooftop, and it's lighter. And, like, so, like, there's a little bit of, like, ping pong, kind of... Yeah. ...in that way. And I just find that really really interesting that it all still feels really cohesive mm -hmm. and I don't know if there's anything you could speak to there or that's not really a question but no no I think that's a great point I thank you and a lot of planning and pre-production was like thinking about the it's literally the title it's death and then ramen and tonally that's yeah, what, wow. what it, it all just in comes back to that <laughs> yeah that's amazing in and out of you know it's like it was always like very simple in that way like the yin and yang and we were just like oh it's funny and sad and the funny and sad and funny sad and then by the end we sort of emerged with like a funny sad mm -hmm. that is like the full spectrum i would say where, where you're fully aware of both ends yeah of this experience yeah, and, and workshopping with, with Bobby, like, I think he just brought, like, a natural, like, he's, like, a very funny-looking dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, you know, five foot two, and he's, like, got such a big presence, but mm -hmm. also has, like, a darkness to him. Like, he sits in a room, and he's, like, whoa, like, this guy is, like, he really just commands the room in, like, mm -hmm. a very strange, like, five foot two sort of way, you know? <laughs> and, um... I think he just brought that like he did mm -hmm. I didn't need to really talk to him much about it it was yeah. just like fully from casting and when I tried to intellectualize that a little bit or like try to ex explain this to him like this is what this film is tonally mm -hmm. Bobby like what do you think he's like what are, what are you talking about <laughs> like he, he wouldn't like like lean in in that way so it's like really just like creating the context around him and being like go and then mm -hmm. he goes and then it's perfect and yeah. that sort of tonally like really fell into place some just within the context. Mm -hmm. Also, Matt Jones looks like very tall yeah. in comparison. So just <laughs> death looming over. Yeah, yeah. Well, in that, like, I have a note in here, like, unlikely friends where there's, like, you know, the 
reveal that the ambient didn't work and he's like you're supposed to be dead he's like i know yeah, yeah like um the way that they like become closer mm-hmm. over the course of the short i thought was really was really interesting to just the way that they're like they both have something to teach the other person mm-hmm. like it's this very like friends shaking hands kind mm-hmm. of story that kind of goes over goes over the course of the runtime um yeah. And I was curious, uh, Peter, for you, were there challenges? Um, like, how... Um... Yes, so, from the get-go, Tiger had a very clear vision. Mm-hmm. You know, from, like, when we first spoke about the project, he said, yeah. I want Bobby Lee mm-hmm. um, making this animatic. Soon after that, like, he had an animation version of the film. Wow, yeah. Knew who he wanted. Um, knew he wanted to shoot in L.A., even though he's from New York and wanted some mm-hmm. some help with that but in general it's like i want this ramen shop let's figure out how to get that yeah so yeah i just think like working with tiger is he's very prepared mm-hmm. and he really knows what he wants yeah might be a little bit of a coping mechanism as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think like as a producer that's ideal very ideal right, right. um and so it was just a matter of uh checking boxes to a certain extent mm-hmm. of what tiger wanted right Um, and not like yeah i guess there weren't in terms of the initial plan not a ton of like question marks uncertainties it was just more of like here's the laundry list and let's yeah i think like with some directors uh in terms of the creative collaboration with the producer there's maybe more so Uh i mean to be honest like this is very much so tigers film creatively in every way i don't feel like i i just helped realize his vision which i think is the job of the producer at the end of the day when you have a director that really knows what they want Mm -hmm. um so from the get-go was just trying to support his vision um, yeah make it happen i've got a question about like this the style of dark humor that is in this short and like what were what are some like kind of guiding lights inspirations influences for hmm. for this because I think that it's definitely like a different I don't think the closest like portrayal of death that I can think is similar is maybe like the Bill the death and Bill, Bill and Ted, Ted. yeah um, but this is still different super different yeah like than than that and so I'm curious treading that line and making like it's it's still funny but it is dark like what informs that tone here um we didn't look at a lot of movies mm-hmm. for that. I mean, like, Seventh Seal was jumping off point, but that was just right. so, such a, the you OG. know, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> stern, Scandinavian-like yes. thing. I We wanted to sort of subvert that, like, the sternness of it, of, like, instead of death and a man playing chess, where in its oppositional, um, it is them eating a bowl of ramen together, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it is, you know, collaborative and, and familial. Um, but in terms of references and sort of guiding lights, we actually looked at, I, when writing, looked at, like, theater a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I looked at Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Gatto, just in terms of, like, how, like, the dialogue sort of plays out. Mm-hmm. It's, like, sort of philosophical, but not really. And it's, like, it could be, like, really deep, but also a joke. You know, you can, like, it can function on, like, both right. levels, sort of. And I, I really liked that in terms of, like, uh, realizing that tonally, um, like the Korean genre cinema was really good for that because it's like there's like you know a really pronounced um, stylization 
like an old boy, for example, mm-hmm. just the way that, you know, time sort of plays out and the way the score kind of, you know, is so controlled and um, how everything like sort of comes together. And tonally that, that was really interesting to me because um, you never quite, uh, we wanted to make a movie that and once you know where it's going to go, but you also are so confused as to like where it's going to go. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know that, like, we all know that he's going to die, right. but what is he doing now? Like, what? Why is he bringing this bowler on? Like, what is he doing? You yeah, know? that's that's like the waiting for Godot a bit to yeah. me when you said that. I was like, oh, it's like this, this like knowing inevitability of something that is and isn't going to happen. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that's kind of that yeah, makes and like sense. surrealist and absurdist theater, like Brecht. Um, I worked with a uh, experimental uh, theater company in. New York called the Worcester Group a little bit before COVID, mm-hmm. and they were just really interested in subverting and kind of almost like defiling like um, really classic traditional texts like Hamlet, mm-hmm. or just like smearing like feces all over it, but then creating yeah. a, a new thing altogether. Um, and we didn't necessarily want to smear feces over Ingmar Bergman, but. <laughs> Um, we also sort of did. But it's okay to do that with Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. he didn't write all that stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, let's see. So, I mean, we're getting close to time here, but uh, I guess I wanted to ask, like, what um, what, what do you think the, the, the value is in kind of continuing to have, you know, it's a little bit philosophical, but it's also just like, um, I think it's a thing more people think about on maybe a daily basis um, than we maybe would expect is just the inevitability of death. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what do you think is, like, the value in kind of continuing to find new ways to explore, you know, one of one of the things that will happen to everybody ever yeah. um, and finding new ways to suggest alternate or options for what death could look like and... I think humor is where it's at right now. Yeah. Like, but since a, a humor in that that isn't ironic and and is sincere in mm-hmm. embracing that mm-hmm. the darkness and because that is like the best entry point into a space that is no longer repressing the, mm-hmm. our darkest fears. Right, right. Um, that's why comedy is such a great sort of genre for for that. Martin McDonough does it really well, mm-hmm. and a lot of other filmmakers do it too as long as it doesn't quite tie it in like with like a bow and a cherry on top i think that humor really is like the best um sort of entry point into that even in life when when you're not like talking about art making and you know like we can address really like dark things if our if our you know defense mechanism is not activated mm-hmm. and that's there's no way of getting there that's better than laughing and you yeah. know sharing a bowl of ramen. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a great place to uh, kind of transition and start to wrap up. Um, what are y'all working on now that you can maybe t- t- tell us a little bit about that people can keep an eye out for? Death and Ramen, the feature. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, cool. So Death and Ramen is a proof of concept for, you know, a larger thing. And we've been in development for the past uh, two months or so. Mm-hmm. So we're still really early. Um, in this process, but how's the script coming, Tiger? <laughs> <laughs> I've been very protective over the script. No, no one's, no one's. I've, I've, I've talked about the script like mm-hmm. incessantly, but no one's read it yet. He's like, I'll show you the ending. I'm like, 
Because <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm actually happy with the ending. I'm not happy with a lot of parts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we are probably going to shoot this within like the next uh, two years mm-hmm. or so. Um, but if not, we're just going to still like kind of make it regardless, I would yeah. say. Focusing on financing and having like an actual, you know, very like uh, prepared and um, enough to have enough wattage to have like a good enough team behind it. Because it's like it is again like a very particular film that needs to be like certain things can't be compromised, and yeah. I would say that like doing the good producing um, to get to work and to get to that spot is is uh, what we're thinking of. But yeah. in the meantime, I'm probably gonna make a couple of little shorts here and there just for the for um, for fun. Yeah, cool. What about you guys? Yeah, I'm also a director, so I'm mm-hmm. working on my own stuff. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, really. Um, excited about making this into a feature i think that was sort of the goal um from the beginning yeah um just like make a really good short film but also a proof of concept yeah um and so i think it's pretty well received at this point and uh we'll see what happens yeah Stefan. well i'm just waiting for tiger's next two <laughs> and, and until then i'm uh shooting another feature this summer my first feature cool um and until then commercials yeah and music videos Right on. Um, well, yeah, where can people go to keep up with all y'all's work and where can people find you online? Uh, my website is tigergfilms.com, G as in J I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all my handles are essentially the same Vimeo, Instagram. And Death and Ramen Film is uh, the handle for, for our film Instagram. And mm-hmm. we'll be running festivals, so you, know, you can keep updated there. I have an Instagram, but I don't post anything. I'm um, <laughs> going to work on that. So. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, cool. we'll see. Um, I have an Instagram, but my last name is difficult. So if you just go to Tiger's Instagram and type in Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N, <laughs> one person will probably pop up, and that's me, Stefan Nachman. All right. Cool. Well, thank you guys for taking some time out of the festival to come in and talk thank about you. the film some more. Um, it was great. And, um, yeah. Just it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Nifty. Yeah. And thank you for listening. For more information on Nifty 2023 or upcoming events, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram and TikTok at Nifty Film. And for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website at partyfish.media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.